Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's so good to be with you again this fine Friday afternoon, Friday night in the big town. Dr. Melson, how are you, sir? Man, it's uh, to what it's Friday. And I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, me too. I'm also quite happy about that. It's been a long week. My kid's been sick. I, my wife and I were vaguely sick, I think. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a weekend. I've got some family in town, maybe some outdoor time. Going to visit uh, Prairie Artisan Ales this evening. I think there's a nice. fundraiser for my kid's school. So yeah, I uh, you know I uh, I've had a little bit of PTSD this week, and I I use that term not uh, completely seriously, but not entirely in jest. Uh, it's been flashbacks to flashbacks to 2021, 2022. Uh, I have tested negative, but tested for COVID uh, five times in the last seven days. Yeah, doing um, and, your due diligence there. Well, because you know we've had a big uptick in cases. I've had some uh, some unintentional exposures, uh, both at the office and personally, and so uh, been been testing a you know a, been asymptomatic. Feel great, but been testing you know repeatedly to yeah. uh, assure that I'm safe. And uh, man, uh, the old swabaroo up the sniffer is uh, it is as unpleasant now as it ever was. My we've we've swabbed my daughter a few times recently. She's three and she does not like it at all. Yeah. Um, speaking of illnesses, though, we haven't talked about, and this doesn't merit much conversation, I think, because it's not about politics, but the increase in dog flu. It's uh, it's it's interesting, and if you if you have a uh, four legged uh, canine friend, um, I was going to say four legged friend, but there's there's others um, that are that are not canines. Iguanas, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you if you've got a uh, if you've got a a dog at home, it's very scary. We have a new puppy at home. He's uh, fully vaxxed and all the things, and pretty healthy. But we've we kept him home from daycare this week, and uh, we uh, will probably keep him home at least another week. Uh, we go to a great daycare that um, has been very careful. They've not had any cases. They're screening all of their dogs before anybody can can come in. But if COVID has taught us nothing, Andrew, it has taught us people lie. <laughs> and so, sad, sad but true. Sad and, but true. And so um, I know they are. They are. Asking everyone if uh, they are they're they're asking everyone if their dogs have had any exposures, but um, sometimes people are not always forthright. That's mm, yes, yes. So. Indeed. Well, Scott, speaking of friends who walk on all fours, I have the headline of the week right here. It's uh, I'm gonna play a sound effect. This is the best headline I've seen in a while. It's from the Tulsa World, from Randy Crable. Hobbit cited in House committee discussion to keep governor's legacy fund alive. Wait, like the, wait, what? The the Hobbit. The book? Yeah. Uh, yes, or the beast, I guess. So this, I guess you're not familiar with the story. So the um, House Rules Committee kept uh, this bill that was a request bill from the governor to create a $1 billion, what he called a legacy fund. And uh, Randy says... They kept it alive, kept it in play, um, albeit with a Tolkien reference and not much obvious enthusiasm. So the bill, Senate Bill uh, 1101 and 1102, went through committees, and the Senate pro tem Greg Treat and Speaker of the House Charles McCall, who are the authors of these bills, um, said that the stit proposal would create what amounts to an investment fund to supplement state revenue. So they're wanting to set, we got a lot of extra money floating around this year. Most of it's one-time money. So they want to set it aside in yet another rainy day fund, right? We've got three right now, I think. There's the rainy day fund. There's 
the other two that I, names I forget. So the governor wants to create a third one that would act kind of like a endowment um, for the state. So, so we're, we're going to have a third savings account. Or a fourth, I think. Okay. And uh, so Representative Andy Fugate from Oklahoma City noted that the state already has several reserve funds, including two mandated by the state constitution, and asked why another should be created. Quote, frankly, a legislature in the future could come back and use it as a slush fund, which is something we all worry about. And that has happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Representative John Pfeiffer from Orlando, Oklahoma, he said, that's a very, very good question and one I honestly don't have an answer to. And he said um, a little bit later in the debate, uh, let me find it. He said, um, Pfeiffer replied, oh, so John Eccles, House Majority Floor Leader, um, asked on whether tax cuts might be preferable as opposed to socking the money away. Pfeiffer replied, if we've learned anything from The Hobbit, is that if you store too much wealth under the Lonely Mountain and don't distribute it out, bad things happen. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, first of all, that's a deep cut. That's first, a deep cut. First, first of all, um, first of all, the 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 wealth, the wealth of the of the dwarf kingdom, um, um, in in under the lonely mountain was not first of all distributed out. It wasn't taxed. Okay, they owned a mine, right? The Lonely Mountain was a giant mine. They didn't collect wealth by taxing right. the good people of Dale, they, right? Well, they were um, job creators and they created their own wealth. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. no I'm saying no. I'm, no, I'm saying I'm saying they're like Elon Musk who inherited an emerald mine, oh, right? That's fair. Okay. <laughs> like that's fair. they went to a mountain and found a bunch of gold and said, yeah. "Oh, we will live here where all of the gold is." Right. Um, and then so, they got eaten by a dragon. Um, yes. Yes, that's that's correct. But um, how many listeners do you think have already turned off this episode? <laughs> Be oh, like, oh my god, they're talking about the Hobbit. I have absolute faith that our listener base is as much into Tolkien as I am. Both um, those listeners are probably nerds like us. Um, you know, I will also say this is an aside. I listen to books on tape to help me fall asleep at night, but I only listen to books that I know very, very well. Mm -hmm. Like I don't listen to books that I'm like, ooh, I want to, I want to read this book, so I'm going to listen to it. Right. I, I listen to. Um, Harry Potter or sure. the Lord of the Rings, or I had to stop listening to the Hobbit um, to fall asleep because the version of the Hobbit that I had was narrated by Andy Serkis, mm. um, who is f a fantastic actor and mm. an incredible voice actor. Um, he was the voice of Gollum in the Lord of the Rings movies, as well as in the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, and the problem is every, every time I would fall asleep for like four nights in a row, I woke up in the morning with, um, um, Smeagol screaming "precious" in my ears at like twelve thirty, so I had to I had to stop. But that's um, <laughs> I could just see you like sitting up, like ah! right, because it was like my precious, yeah. and I was like, what happened? Oh, now it's, I have to try and go. Oh, back and to that's sleep. a creepy sound by itself. I mean, yes, right. So, so I, I mean, here's here's the thing. I, I guess I would say that the better, um, the the better question is for me. I mean, one, do we need another, do we need another savings? Like, do we need another endowment account? Number one. Number no. two. Answers, um, answer to one is no. Right. Well, we, we, we were talking about cutting taxes um, because we talk about it at every legislative session. One question that, one question that I have, um, has anybody done the math looking at the current rainy day fund? If we cut taxes by say, I don't know, a quarter of a percent or whatever they're talking about for mm -hmm. income tax, um, which would be permanent, right? The legislature right. I mean, you need a 75% threshold in both houses to undo it, um, which is a, a heavy lift. 
and I would say probably impossible. Um, and then we have a revenue shortfall in three years. Obviously, this is this is dependent on like how big the revenue shortfall is. But I am curious, um, how long would our current savings last? So like rather like we shouldn't be talking about a bigger savings account. It's big enough, but we also shouldn't be talking about cutting taxes either. Right. right? right. Like why would you create a savings account and then put yourself in a position where you're going to use it? Right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Like we know that we know that hard times are going to come, right? Even if we do everything right, hard times are going to come, which is why the money's there. And if we spend it before then we run the risk of it not being there and being in a really bad spot. Um, a, a better data point for you, Scott, is uh, I think, that, and I know this is from OK Policy. I think their number of the day yesterday was, if the if the legislature cut the the taxes by uh, it was a quarter or three quarters of a percent, the average Oklahoman would save um, ninety three dollars a year. Right, so that's less less than ten dollars a month. How much would the top one percent save? Oh, quite a bit more. I'm yeah, sure, right? I, so like mm-hmm. anything like that that is across the board is much more much excuse me, much more money for the wealthy. So that's I mean a huge argument against doing that kind of thing. Uh, well, uh, it that bill passed, but it has the title off and the enacting clause stricken. So we'll see what happens. That doesn't bode well for that bill. But stranger things have happened. I guess we'll just wait and see what happens with that bill. Who knows? Um, but while we're talking about the governor, uh, Scott, we should talk about the governor disbanding the state's homelessness council that has been around for like the better part of 25 years, right? It's like a 26-person council. It's been around for a long time. It's called the, the governor's or the Interagency Council on Homelessness. Um, and is he, is, he, is he breaking it up because he feels that we've solved homelessness in Oklahoma City? Um, or in Oklahoma? I don't think he didn't say that, but um, reporter Kayla Branch did bring this up during, I guess, I, mean, I assume it was during the governor's like uh, media availability today. Um, and she has a transcript of it that she tweeted about. Um, Scott, do you want to, should we read this? Yeah, let's do it. Who do, do you, do you, who, who, who do you want to be? I'll start with Kayla. Now, the first thing kind of, um, comes in mid-sentence, so I'm just going to roll with it. Listeners, indulge us. Scott, are you going to do an accent? Are you going to... No, I'll just read it. Right. Well, I mean, you can do whatever you want, man. Uh, I assumed some kind of British or Australian. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, so I think Kayla says, I'm, I want to ask you specifically in your mind as the governor of the state of Oklahoma, as we look at homelessness increasing around the country in the major cities here, even in other areas of the state, what do you believe needs to be done? How do we get more people housed? How do we address this problem that in municipal races all over the state, people identify as a top issue facing the city? What do you think needs to be done regardless of what commission exists or doesn't exist? And obviously don't, no obligation to read his whole response unless you want to. Well, so he says uh, – we're, we're supposed to take this piece by piece because it really – I think it actually – I think it does merit – it does merit a response. He says, first, yeah, this quote, yeah, well, I do need to address that. I was surprised with all the news media. I've never seen a report from that commission. Okay, halt. This is Scott. <laughs> Follow up. Um, have you ever asked for a report from that commission? You've never seen one. Have you asked them for one? 
Going back to the governor, he says that thing has been in existence for over 20 to 25 years. Again, the amount of boards and commissions that just kind of get around and hit the taxpayer and you pay for mileage and all this kind of stuff. Okay. Another yep. pause. Yep. Um, I wonder if the like cost for mileage for the boards and commissions um, is less than or greater than salaries of new cabinet positions. Um, so going back to the governor. You know, we needed a fresh set of eyes on there. So some 25-year-old commission, I didn't think that was moving the needle on homelessness. But that's a big, big question. I mean, I know that the legislature did a really good job of putting money into mental health. That's not the question. Um, They did – that's something that's a huge focus. We have a task force focused on mental health and how we can do that. We passed bills to – Allow our law, our law enforcement officers to deliver people a mental to deliver people to a mental health hospital. So this is a key. This is a key phrase. We passed bills to allow our law enforcement to deliver people to a mental health hospital. We invested in OU Children's Center, the Griffin Center in Norman. Um, we're going to rebuild. We're going to put eighty four million dollars into that. So a lot of this has mental health issues. These are big time city concerns. Substance abuse. But we've got to get control of our homelessness, and the answer to that is a multifaceted is multifaceted, and those are difficult conversations to have. Some of it is state funded and state directed, as far as the mental health aspect of it, but it's also getting these people to help that they need. So, one, um, he's making the assumption that any person who is 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 unhoused is suffering from a mental health condition, which is not necessarily true. Right. He's, yeah. Let's just draw a direct line. He's saying. The problem of homelessness is mental illness. Right. And and then he is saying that the right thing to do with people who are struggling with mental illness is to put them into a hospital. Right? Like, are we familiar with, like, sanatoriums? Right? Are familiar with asylums? Those Which were shut down which, which in the sh- 70s right. by the U.S. Department of Justice due to rampant abuse and neglect. Right. Right. I, I may have said this on the podcast a few years ago, but I used to work for the state of Texas at a state facility that used to be one of those places. My office used to be a restraint room where it had on the wall a board that was bolted to the wall and still had the metal loops where they would chain people and there's a drain on the floor where they would just chain you there and let you just urinate on yourself if you were acting out. It was when I found that out, I was like, I I cannot do work in this room. Like this is it was uh, exactly as horrific as I would imagine from like Hollywood movies about it, right? Right. So that was his first answer, but then Kayla had a follow-up. She says- Is is this her follow-up? Maybe it is. So it says, but it's also getting housing, right? I mean, like, you know, the key to solving homelessness is more people being housed and you have to have a higher supply of housing. And those are, again, very complicated. I'm not saying you should be able, but I'm curious, like, in your administration, what is next other than just not renewing the commission? Are you relying on other people? Is there something else you'd like to do? Do you want to hear from experts in the field? What are you, you know, this isn't going away in the next three years of your term. And then he says, I mean, quote, this is a quote. I mean, listen, here's, here's the deal. Building housing, giving f- people free stuff is not the answer. You can go look at what other big cities have done to try and house people and build housing or put them up into hotels. Um, so just kind of insert here. Um, other big cities do housing first. That's what they do. And it's um, – I am not an expert on homelessness. Um, however, my understanding is that, in fact, the best, least expensive, most cost-effective solution to homelessness is actually supplying folks who are struggling with homelessness with 
free or low cost housing. Like that is like that is the answer. Like that is the solution. So when he says building housing, giving people free stuff is not the answer. In fact, it is, and that's not my opinion. That's backed up with like data. Um, people need jobs. People need jobs. They need the mental health. I'm back to the governor now. They need mental health that they need. They need mental health that they need. Okay. There's the drug addiction. And there's there's people out there that for whatever reason are refusing, refusing to get the help that they need. So we have a lot of nonprofits. We have a lot of churches around this issue. I am unaware of a church of homelessness. Um, we have <laughs> we have investments in mental health. We need to force these folks to get into mental health facilities. Okay? Like yeah. listen to that. We need to force these folks to get into mental health facilities. Yeah. So the answer that the governor is proposing to homelessness is to forcibly, I mean, on it, like if you're charitable, forcibly hospitalize. Um, um, you can also say incarcerate people into mental health facilities. Mm -hmm. Institutionalize. Right. Um, he's, he says, but we're not going to allow tents. As long as I'm governor of Oklahoma, we're not going to build housing. Wait, uh, okay, stop. So no tents, but also no houses. Right. No tents, no houses, just hospitals. And hospital is a generous term. Right. Um, we're trying to get them help, to get them the job that they need. There are so many answers to this, um, except he doesn't seem to have any. Um, the investments in career tech on reskills training is very, very important to me and how we're investing in our different educational systems. And if you want to get help, we can get you help. But if you don't want to get help, there is not a lot that society can do. That's not true. <laughs> right yeah, there's right, like right. there's like there is actually a ton that society can do could we because uh, i would like us to talk about this some yeah. more but we we also i think um you and i um we have some things we're good at but i think we could easily get out of our uh depth here i wonder if we could in the next couple weeks we could get someone from the uh from the homeless alliance yeah. on the on the show oh, for to, sure. to talk about this because this i mean to me like the fact that like the fact that he just doesn't want to really engage on homelessness at all, like that's a big deal. But like the the fact that the governor of Oklahoma is on the record with a quote saying we need to force these folks to get into mental health facilities, like that should be a, like a national headline, right? Governor of Oklahoma calls for like right. calls for re uh, reinstitution of asylums. Yeah. Um, you know, truth be told, Scott, about five years ago, I was essentially couch homeless myself, right? Like I could not afford to rent uh, a place to live. I was fortunate that my parents had an extra room that I could move into for a period of time. Um, but mental health was not my problem, right? The cost of housing was my problem. I had a good job, a state job <laughs> with benefits and all that, but I had two kids, I was a single dad, like shit's expensive. Um, and I thought about this the other day, someone kind of reframed it and said, oh, you're couch homeless. And I was like, I mean, Yes, I guess that's exactly what it means, right? Where you are staying on, out of staying in a house and the generosity of the person that lives there, um, and that was a really, I think, stark realization. And that is, and that is a good scenario. That is not the case for many people. Like I spent the first twenty years of my career working with folks who live on the streets who actually do have mental health issues, and many of whom also have housing, right? Like that's right. I think the the governor trying to connect the dots of saying the problem that if, if if homelessness is the problem the root cause is mental illness and substance abuse that is not necessarily the case right it may be the right. case for some people right but the solution to homelessness is homes right that's a right the, that's a pretty easy one right i mean it's the solution it's, to hunger is food like right. these are not this is not rocket science so right. i just 
I disagree with the governor and does the data. Right. I mean, and this is a, this is, I mean, there are, there are, I mean, this, and this, this, you know, this is one of my, my pet peeves, right? There are things about which we can disagree, right? You can disagree whether the best way to incentivize a business is a is a tax incentive or the best way to incentivize a business is, you know, maybe having a, a strong educational system in your state or whether the best way to incentivize business development is is uh, a great transportation infrastructure. Like those are and, – and I would say that everyone, you know – most people who would advocate for those solutions in that example um, could all point to successful, uh, su- successful, uh, uh, you know, anecdotes or, uh, or even data that supports their position. Right? When the governor says there is nothing that society can do, that's not a disagreement that you have with him. He is wrong about that. Right. He's wrong. Yeah. Right. When he says that, like housing and giving people giving people housing is not the answer. He is wrong about that. He can have his opinion, um, but his opinion is not supported at any level by like facts. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Well, even his comment in that first section of saying the solution is not to give people free stuff, like that makes me cringe. And also, does that mean he's planning to charge them for the mental health services and the the institutionalization? Right, like that seems ludicrous. I mean, but we gotta we gotta possible. we gotta fund the tax cuts somehow. <laughs> And I mean, it makes sense to me that we would give the wealthiest Oklahomans a tax cut um, and pay for it by charging folks struggling with homelessness for their housing and mental health services. Did, speaking of this, did you watch the video I sent you yesterday from uh, last week tonight about homeowners? Not, not yet. Oh, my uh, gosh. About HOAs, but just I, I know I'm going to love it. <laughs> uh, listeners, I'll, if I can find it again, I'll put it a link in the show notes, but there was a recent episode earlier this week, an episode of last week tonight with John Oliver, where he does a deep dive. You know, it's about 23 minutes long into the topic of homeowner associations, HOAs, right? Community organizations. And what a bonkers deal that is. They are essentially little fiefdoms that operate outside the law because they're allowed to by law. It's nuts. Yeah. They can repossess people's houses. One of the guys in there had his house repossessed by the HOA for $3.54, and they evicted him. His HOA evicted him because he didn't – he was behind on his fees. That was the whole deal. It's absolutely nuts. Man, I better see if I owe my HOA anything. Do you have one? Uh, I mean, it's yes, because it's the it's the historic. Oh yeah, like ours is yeah. voluntary. Like it's like yeah. twenty five dollars a year that like helps, and we and we all chip in and like mow the median together. Right. Right. Um, but I've lived in an HOA when I lived in Edmond in a gated community. Um, and fancy. Well, it wasn't that fancy. Um, but it was like, and I was on the board actually. That was my first. Uh, I wasn't elected. I just applied, and they accepted me because no one else wanted to do it. But it was. I was like, I think my job there was to hold back the the march towards authoritarianism of the HOA president. That's what he wanted to do. <laughs> I mean, you know my what I've said about HOAs, right? No. They are for no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> we may one of our two listeners may serve uh very well on their local homeowners association. Oh, sure. We've got friends that serve on HOAs and you're probably doing good work. This is not the case, but 82% of the new homes that were sold last year were in HOAs. 82% of the homes in America that were sold last year were in HOAs. Wow. They're taken over. They've exploded. 
um, since the early 90s on like their prevalence. When are they going to start having their own? Um, you know, do you know what somebody should do? They're putting up traffic cameras. They should. They should have a militia. They, I guarantee there are HOAs with armed guards out there. I 100%. No, they didn't they should, talk about but they, it. But. but they should have militia, right? A well-regulated militia. Just like it's essential in, to the security of a free state. Dudes in coats like marching around. Just, don't, don't give them ideas, Scott. Just, just drills on the golf course, right? <laughs> right on the uh, – But that's the thing. It's, it's not even golf courses. It's on like the fairway. just regular neighborhoods. You don't even have to have nice amenities. Like it's just I – mean, the, the neighborhood I lived in with the HOA, we had no pool. We had – I mean our park, and that's a generous statement, was like a playground by the gate with a few picnic tables. And our, our dues weren't that much. It was like two fifty a year. It was reasonable. But it was still – I was like this is going – to go badly if we don't rein this in. Uh, Anywho, uh, listeners, you should watch that. It's a real, a real uplifting story. A real humdinger. A real humdinger. Um, Scott, let's talk about the State Department of Education. I'm, and Scott, I'm, I'm just going to say it. We have a new sound effect this week. This is our Ryan Walter sound effect. <laughs> it's like Pruitt watch, but this is Walter's watch. <laughs> I do um, love the, I do love the alliteration. This is that is good. Yeah. So this is the theme to Debbie Does Dallas <laughs> that I found for free online. Um, uh, we chose this because Walter so often talks about pornography in schools. Now this story is not about pornography in schools. This story is about how Walters is no longer the. Secretary of Education for our state, right? His uh, This was an appointed role, appointed by the governor several years ago. And because the governor has a new term, he was going to have to be reconfirmed by the Senate. It sounds like, Scott, that the Senate was not keen on reconfirming Secretary Walters. Um, yes, he he has not been known for making a lot of friends at 23rd and Lincoln uh, since, I mean, even before he won his election as state superintendent, but even uh, even uh, certainly since then. So um, I was not surprised by this. And then uh, A.G. Drummond came out and issued, issued a, an official opinion saying that in he, the news again, that, uh, you can't 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 draw salaries uh, both as a cabinet secretary and as. Uh, an elected official. Yeah. Um, now, there was some consternation about this because Sandy Garrett, a previous superintendent who also served as secretary of education, did both at the same time. That's like 20 years ago. But the difference is that when Sandy Garrett was in office, the secretary role was largely ceremonial. But now it has some actual like decision-making power. And that's why you can't do both. Yeah. It's also interesting because, um, you know, Walters, he just – it's, it, I don't, it's, I mean, I was going to say it's interesting. It's not interesting, right? I mean, it's really, I mean, the game plan has been ever since he got elected, all he does is scream about pornography in schools. Um, and it, and it does seem like the point of this is when you, when parents are not keen to send their kids to private schools, either of their, you know, either that they pay for or with vouchers, and they don't feel like their schools are failing their children academically, you have to make parents scared of the school, right? Um, and an easy way to make them scared of the school and then and then have a better path to selling vouchers and tax credits um, is to say, well, this, the schools are corrupting your kids. They're making, they're showing them porn. They're turning them into transgendered persons. Making like up, making up lies. Right. Right. Yeah. So 
In his stead, the governor appointed somebody new to be secretary, and he he reconfigured his cabinet. There's a bunch of positions he did away with and put some new ones in there. Um, and the new secretary of education's name is Catherine Curry, Dr. Catherine Curry, who, when we this came out the other day, I think it was on Wednesday, right? Um, there was lots of discussion that, like, seems like Dr. Curry is really well qualified on paper and Everyone, I know a lot of education advocates were like, this seems too good to be true. What's She's well qualified. She has administrative experience. She teaches, I believe, in the College of Education at Oklahoma State. Um, however, the other shoe drops. What's the other shoe? What's the other shoe, Andy? She uh, also runs a consulting firm. She doesn't run it. She doesn't? She doesn't run it. She's not the president. She is uh, an academic. She's the academic director, one of two academic directors. Okay. Well, she's involved with a consulting firm where you listeners could, for the low price, the low, low price of $999, receive training and a certificate for how to open up your own, essentially, for-profit school, right? Bing, 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 bing. And if some of the other education proposals that have been floated around this year were to pass, such as that big $7,500 tax credit that would go to families who choose not to go to public schools, but if you sent your kid to one of these private for-profit schools even, th- those entities would stand to receive a windfall, right? Do you want to be an edupreneur? <laughs> That's what they're called, edupreneurs. Listen, it's called Edupreneur Academy. Yeah. I, I dot, have, this dot is, com. That's not a dot .org. I have a, a, a personal beef with people who use the word entrepreneur and twist it to be different things, right? Yeah, she is... Uh, Doesn't Dave Ramsey do that? Oh, it is a .org. Look at that. Um, yeah, he probably does. What is an edupreneur? Uh, if you see an opportunity to change education and want to make a difference for students, you likely have what it takes to be an edupreneur. That's not a word. <laughs> uh, uh, disagree. This says that edupreneurs understand change. It says that they want to learn. It also says that we need edupreneurs. Arguably, we do, but I don't. I don't think people should make profit from our tax dollars. Well, then you are not a good candidate to get your certificate of entrepreneurial leadership. I will tell you, I run several businesses, and I'm an entrepreneur in my own right. There's, and I have multiple, you know, uh, degrees from our esteemed higher education institutions here in the state. But edupreneur is definitely not one of them. The edupreneur mindset. What is a school? Designing a school. Operating a school. And then the last bullet point, taking care of business. This feels like an SNL skit. <laughs> Stop. So I'm, I'm sure that there are some that have come through this in our great facilities. But I am highly skeptical about this. And I think, again, this potentially presents a conflict of interest, right? Like – it's someone in a position of influence and power that has a clear um, opportunity to financially benefit from their role. And that's that seems not okay to me. Yeah. I mean, for-profit schools don't have a good legacy, right? Like, they just don't. Now, Epic. Uh, right. Trump University. Well, I mean, even a lot of the- University I mean, of Phoenix. Even, 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 even accredited- you know, uh, accredited for-profit schools. I mean, like it's a it's a real problem. It is a real problem in medicine, right? Like we have, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, a number of medical schools in the U.S. Um, they have, you know, X number of spots a year. 
Um, many people would argue that we're not training enough doctors. So some folks that, for whatever reason, don't go to a, a school here in the continental United States, go to schools elsewhere. <clears throat> the the Caribbeans, um, there, are, there are a number of medical schools in the Caribbean. Um, you go to medical school in the Caribbean? Oh, yeah, dude. I might go back to school. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but here's the catch, though, right, um, is many folks who go to med school in the Caribbean. Now, I want to be very clear. I know some absolutely phenomenal doctors who are incredibly um, – they are very smart. They are very well-trained um, that went to those schools. However, um, there are a lot of people who why, who go to those schools, um, occur hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt um, that they can't get federal loans to pay for. So they're using high-interest private loans to pay for it. And then they end up not passing their boards or they mm. end up not, not being able to be licensed or they don't match to a residency spot. And now you've got maybe $400,000 in debt um, and no way to pay, pay it back, back right. because you can't get a job because you don't have a medical license, right? Like, oh, man. Um, so like for, for-profit education is just one of those things that can be – I mean, and there's – you know. There's, you know, there's there's for-profit community college. There's like DeVry in Chicago is a for-profit mm-hmm, institution. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there, these things exist all over the place. And isn't Platt College for-profit? I think so. Um, and so there's examples that can be successful. I think a lot of those are, you know, like vocational technical schools um, um, rather than, you know, four, four-year universities. But this for-profit elementary and, and middle, middle school and high school is that – that rubs me the wrong way. And what bothers me is people who run those that say, well, if it wasn't for profit, we couldn't afford to do this. I'm like, by definition, the fact that it says for profit means that you are accumulating money yes. above and beyond operating expenses. Correct. That means above your pay and everybody else's pay, like leftover money that goes in someone's pocket, right? Presumably these are not public companies in most cases, so it's going into the principal shareholders, which are usually the folks running the organization or the board members. So I'm just – I'm not a socialist, Scott. I just think that like we shouldn't – people shouldn't profit from tax dollars. Well, people say that like the – you know, well, we need to apply market principles. Well, what is the, – the purpose of a market is, right, um, the most uh, efficient way to distribute goods and services, right? Um, that's not the purpose of an education system. Right. 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 That's the purpose. That's, that's the point. Right. Well, this is the difference between running government like a business and running government like a government. Um. Related, since we're talking, it's not, not really related to, not, not really related to, uh, not really related to this particular story, but to the the tax bills we're discussing earlier about possibly cutting income taxes and savings account. There was a big piece of news just today. Um, so uh, the state of Oklahoma um, has signed an agreement with Panasonic. Uh, oh. To come to the mid, uh, come to, to Mid America, uh, the Mid America manufacturing facility out, uh, not manuf- the Mid America. What do you call it? Industrial Park. Industrial Park out in uh, in Pryor. Um, um, they are going to take advantage of the Lead Act incentives that uh, the legislature passed for them. Mm-hmm. That was last year, right? So this is uh, Project Ocean Point Two. Uh, Two point so, so Project Josie is now Josie. Project Josie. Um, there's catch. Oh, <laughs> there's a catch. What's the catch, Scott? So they're going to take advantage of the LEAD Act incentives. Um, however, this is contingent on the legislature passing an additional $245 million worth of site upgrades to the Mid-America Industrial Park. Are those hmm. – so not what's included in the LEAD Act. Man, we've already increased it once, right? Right. And the LEAD Act is what, like 650 mil? Yeah. So like that? 
it so it was like 650 and then we had to up it to like 800 so and plus so now the panasonic says okay we'll take it if before we get there you uh, spend 245 million dollars on site improvements so the the golly I thought I have to go back and look, but I thought the original lead act required the vendor, right? And required Panasonic to make some site upgrades. Uh, I think that is correct, but I think they don't want to. Well, (laughs) yeah. So they came back to the table and said, how we'll create jobs if you invest in the land. So basically it means if we spend 245 million for site upgrades, then they'll come in and invest whatever they invest to build the facility and hire staff. And if they meet those benchmarks, then we give them up to an additional six hundred million or something, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I'm reading here for this. So this is all like this is today, right? Um, so the there's so one the Department of Commerce has confirmed that the state has entered into <coughs> an agreement with Panasonic um, in a deal that could, not will could uh-huh. result in 3,500 new jobs. Uh, Governor Kevin Stitt said the economic development deal would result in a $5 billion investment in the state. Um, after the Oklahoma House saw a copy of the contract on Wednesday, Speaker Charles McCall said the deal does not meet the qualifications for Panasonic to be eligible for $698 million in the economic development incentives. Um, the House reviewed the contract two days ago and notified the Department of Commerce the governor to inform them that it does not meet the criteria and give them an, give them an opportunity uh, to correct it before the deadline. McCall said the con- company must sign a contract free of contingencies in order to be eligible for lead act funds. Um, and so uh, uh, the deal is, so what this is coming down to is the Senate is on board. The Senate is on board. Um, Speaker McCall is saying the house is not going to pass these, this $245 million in extra incentives. Unless what do you think, Andy? What do you think McCall wants? Tax cuts. Correct. The Senate does not have an appetite for uh, tax cuts. But McCall, McCall says, we will only spend the $245 million extra dollars if you agree to let us cut revenue. That doesn't make any sense. It we'll, does if you want to be governor in 2026. We'll only spend the money if you let us spend more money. Correct. Is what they're saying. Correct. Or bring in less money, essentially. Um, Andrew, just so you know, tax cuts are not spending. Right. No, they are cutting <laughs> revenue. That's like That's like, Scott, that's like saying... I will only buy this Cadillac if I can take a 10% cut in pay. Right. If you went to your boss and said, listen, I want to buy a new car, but I'm only going to buy a car if you cut my pay. And that is bonkers. My, my boss would say, I don't care what you do about the car, but I'll happily cut your salary. It's nuts. But that is no way to govern, man. That's no way to run a state. Right. But McCall wants to run for governor, saying he cut taxes in his last term as speaker. I know McCall does, but I'm talking about I, – I want our listeners to understand how crazy this idea is. It's good for Oklahoma, Andy. No, it's not. It is. Do you know why it's good for Oklahoma? <laughs> I know you're being sarcastic. Because, <laughs> because the best thing for Oklahoma is for Charles McCall to be governor in 2026. Oh, my gosh. I don't even – I don't uh, – that aside, like this is just bad news from a from a financial standpoint – no one could manage their home budget this way. I used to live with a guy in college. Okay, okay but I want to stop you right there. I want to stop you right there. Okay. So this is a pet peeve of mine, and you've opened the door. Okay. <laughs> no one could manage their home budget this way. Or however, their, or their business. However, that is entirely irrelevant because how you and I manage our budget every month to pay mortgages and for groceries and car, you know, for our car and gas and whatever has 
absolutely nothing to do with how one should manage a, what, $6 billion, $10 billion, what is it? Yeah, eight or 10, yeah. Eight, eight or $10 billion budget for a state of 4 million people. The two, the two things I, I, God, I get so worked up about this because of a, well, you know, a, fa- a fa- you know, a family could, a family can't just keep putting money on their credit card. No, they can't. But you know what? A family doesn't have an economy and a family is not a state. A family doesn't collect taxes. The family doesn't provide service. Like you are right. You're right. A family of four cannot just print money to like pay their bills. But you know what? A family of four is not the United States of America. Well, like, like this is true. This, like you're, you're, you are right that like a family cannot run their budget. You would never, like in your example is correct. You would never say, you would never say, well, I'm going to buy the Cadillac if you're going to cut my salary. Like, Yes, this is not how a family would run their budget, but how a family runs their budget has not a thing in the world to do with how the state of Oklahoma should run its budget. It's a point well taken. And I hope, yeah, take a deep breath. I I do need a button on our soundboard that that says, and another thing. Um, the, The truth though, Scott, is that whether it's your home budget, it's your nonprofit organization, it's your for profit oil business, or it's the state of Oklahoma. At the end of the day, it's money in and money out, right? And Oklahoma has a bad habit of deciding to reduce the money in while still spending money out, right? And in some cases, right, in like 2017, they couldn't do that anymore. They realized, oh, my gosh, well, we've reduced the money in so much that we have to reduce the money out. And that's what I'm worried about because we run so lean as a state as it is. We underinvest in things like healthcare, like public education, like mental health, like housing, like all these things that Oklahomans need to survive, much less thrive. And if we continue to always be looking for ways to cut the money in, then we will have to cut the money out, and that hurts people. So I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to say that the I'm going to say that the problem is actually I would say that's a secondary problem. Um, the prime the primary problem here is not just at face value because there's there are scenarios actually in which doing both would make sense. Yes. Right? Yes. There are scenarios in which spending the 245 million extra so that would bring the total cost to 7 to what uh, so 7 but would carry the one so like to that would bring the 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 total cost to like 945 billion, right? Or 945 million. Yeah. There there are uh, one. There's a lot of universes in which spending 945 million for five billion in economic investment yes. makes a ton of sense. Yes, and there are scenarios in which doing tax cuts at the same time also makes sense. A stagnating economy. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, yes. In, in, um, 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 uh, not uh, what's the opposite of inflation? Um, deflation. Deflation. Right. Like like <laughs> like deflation. Right. That it would make sense in that. In a scenario in which tax cuts are at a, an all-time high that would make sense. Like there are scenarios in which spending the money and reducing yes. the money coming in yeah. makes sense. The problem here is one in Oklahoma right now. None of those apply. Number right. One. Exactly. Number two, the 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 most fundamental thing is when we cut revenue here, we can't raise it again. Yes, we can't fix it. In, in when case, this when this creates a problem, we can't come back in two years or four years or six years and make the problem better. Right. Because we, we have a history of of just like 
what, what do they say? Like cutting taxes with a machete instead of with a scalpel, right? Like we do it willy nilly without being thoughtful about how this projects out. And I right. think, I think we talked about this in the show before, but I had this conversation this week with several partner organizations that I think we as a state need to do what the Congressional Budget Office does and start scoring this stuff on a 10-year outlook, right? Because in that case, it captures the scenarios like you described where investing now pays off in year seven, and you're like, oh, this makes sense. But too often we're just like, it's going to cost this much per year, but we don't extrapolate that out, and so we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. Do you know what what is the top uh, what is the top rate in Oklahoma right now for income tax rate? Uh, yeah, mm, five and a quarter. Four. Correct. It was five and a quarter. Ooh, I feel um, so, hang on. In in twenty nineteen. Thank you, thank you, everyone. I appreciate that. In twenty nineteen, um, do you know what the uh, state and local tax burden rankings reported that the average American pays a, a, as a rate in state and local taxes? Say that again. Say so in 2019. Mm-hmm. What would you guess is the average rate paid by Americans in state and local taxes? So um, this is, is just states that have state taxes. Not every state does. Most states have local income tax. Well, or like sales tax. Ding 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 ding. Care the one seven and a quarter. Nine point nine. Ooh, okay. So not only we are, are tax income state. taxes not historically high in Oklahoma. They are half the national average. Yeah. Right? Half. Right. Half. Well, so, Scott, we don't want to be California or Texas. I mean, I mean, we, nobody wants to be Texas. But um, they, don't have it. they don't have state income tax. They have really high property tax in exchange. Right. Right. Listen, here's the deal. We pay taxes so that we all get something, right? Right. We all pull our money. We can buy a Cadillac. But any one of us individually may not be able to afford it. But, like, if we want good stuff as a state, we got to all pitch in a little bit. I'll give you my $93 and you put your $93 and all of our listeners $93 and we can suddenly like fund a therapist to go to a school in an inner city neighborhood that needs a therapist there. Right. This works. Right. Like I don't I don't I know that there like and people will probably kill me on Twitter for this but like I don't I don't have a problem. I actually don't have a problem with offering a company a billion dollars in incentives to come here. If right? it pays if, off. Right. If it pays off. Right. And the lead act is written in such a way that if they don't, uh, if they don't invest at least 3.6 billion and create a set number of jobs within four years, right. they have to start paying the money back. Right. Right. And I agree with that. That's why I'm concerned about the 245 million up front right. now. Right. So, so, so I think, I mean, you know, I think that public private partnerships can actually be incredibly effective. I mean, the, the, the best local example. My bad. Maps for those of us. Yeah, who, yeah. Maps has been transformative for Oklahoma City for certain parts, right? I mean, f- yes. <laughs> One, I mean that, and that that is that needs to be said. Yeah, and that is correct. But the maps model works really well. We should do it elsewhere, right? And so, and Ma- when, when did when did Maps One pass? Like ninety six, mm, something like that. Yeah, ninety six, ninety eight, something like that. And they were only going to do it one time. Yeah, and we've done it four times now. Yep. Five, four, right? And why? Because it has worked so well. Now, we are just now getting around to using it for some things that we could have done with it earlier, right? Um, like some of the community mental health facilities and senior care facilities. Like there's other things that we could have and should have done um, as part of MAPS earlier um, and and did it. That's another conversation for another time. But the point is public-private investment works. I read this was a few years ago, but I read that like – I mean, the total investment of public funds in MAPS and what that is estimated to have generated in private investment, I mean, 
right. the, the RO the ROA the ROI is exponential. Yes. Right? It's the it's the kind of ROI that lets you retire at thirty. Right? Yes. Like it's so so there there is a universe where spending public money to spur private investment makes a lot of sense. Yes. But it doesn't make sense to pair that with tax cuts in Oklahoma right, right now. Right. I uh, we should move on because we're about out of time for today. I want to highlight a couple of things that I think is odd about all of this lead act stuff. I've not visited the Mid America Industrial Park. Ooh, we should do a podcast from there. Let's, we absolutely should. You want to do a road trip one of these Fridays and just yes. drive up there? Yes. Um, I could use the mental break um, of of doing that. So prior, uh, you mentioned earlier that this thing is supposed to allegedly could create up to thirty five hundred jobs. The what's your guess on the population of prior America? I'm going to say eight thousand seven hundred and twenty-two. Ooh, you! I'm going to give you a, an applause for that. You're very close. The population is nine thousand four hundred and fifty-three. Holy! Sh- so you're only off by like five hundred people, but still, thirty-five hundred jobs is a third of the population of the town. Not even not just the adult population. And now prior is. Close. It's northeast of Tulsa. It's about forty-five minutes northeast of Tulsa. But if you ever driven out of Tulsa, if you go east out on uh, four twelve, you go towards Catusa and Locust Grove out that way, or if you go northeast on I forty-four, like it gets country quickly. Sure. Like by the time you, like Claremore is way out there from Tulsa, and Pryor is that far again in another direction, and so it just. I'm not saying they can't do it, or people won't move there, but it just seem. Like a a little interesting, that would be way out there for that. I agree, but I also think I mean I, I have never lived. Um, I have never lived in a in a, a small town like this. Um, however, um, I I think one of the things that probably has to happen is that you are relying not on the nine thousand folks who live in Prior. You're relying on the maybe 20,000 people that live within a 30 minute commute. Right, right. Right. Like I think the the idea is that a lot of people start commuting to Pryor from, you know, uh, other other small towns in in the in the area to work a great job at this plant. Right. Yeah, I mean I if it if it works, I'm stoked, right? But I just have some misgivings namely about the $245 million that they want up front. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that's fair. That seems like not too much to ask, right? Um, yeah, I'm going to look at that county of the population, but I don't have time right now. All right. Well, Scott, I think we are about out of time for today. Um, looking at our notes, is there anything else that we should highlight? Oh, I thought we should highlight um, things that people should go read about and we can link to in our show notes. One, the Tulsa race massacre grave search. So they found what they called major scientific breakthrough. They found some remains and they've got DNA profiles of those people. Um, they don't have a match yet, but they're working on it. I think that's a huge deal. That's, that is a huge deal. That's very, I, I don't want to say that's um, exciting. It's not the right word. What's the right word? Um, it's impactful, right? Yeah, like sure. There it's, you go. Um, it's an achievement. And I think for, you know, our friends and neighbors whose ancestors were victims of this horrific event, um, it could bring about some small sense of closure, right? Um, the whole process of like unearthing these graves and doing this stuff is really difficult. Um, but there's, 
you know, hundreds, thousands of people who have big question marks in their family tree. And I think that's a big deal. Um, also, I think a win, um, at least temporarily, is that the um, the Oklahoma Turnpike Authority notified its board and consultants Tuesday that all the work that they're doing on the $5 billion Access Oklahoma expansion will be halted as they are confronted with multiple lawsuits and an investigation or investigative audit by A.G. Drummond into how the Turnpike Authority has kind of gone about this. Because they lied and did it illegally? That's possible. Um, but, you know, as, as a reminder to listeners, this um, potentially intersects with members of the legislature who sold their property for a hefty profit in this. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of big question marks there. No, none of them would ever do that. Lots of big questions. Just like none of them would ever, you know, write a law that says that family members of legislators can own tag agencies when their wife's about to inherit a tag agency. Right, right, right. That's never happened. We talked about that last week. <laughs> Go back and listen. All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. Scott, thanks for being here today. Thank you. I uh, Apologies in advance. I will not be here next week. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do next week, uh, but I've got a few leads, a few ideas. We've got some new guests we're going to bring in, um, and I'm excited about it. Listeners, thank you for being here. Um, if you have suggestions or um, requests for guests, topics, please send us an email at podcast at letsfixthis.org. We'd love to hear them. We try to incorporate those as often as we can and make schedules align. That would be absolutely great. Um, we don't have any elections coming up, but on April... Can I, can I also say yeah. about that? Thank God. No elections? No elections. Yeah. I needed a, I needed, I needed a minute. Yes, but we can't sleep, Scott. we got to be vigilant. No, the off season's when things get done. That's right. Well, we've got to register voters. That's what we got to do. We've got several months before the next election. We got to get after it, folks. So championships are one in the off season. That's hundred percent right. Pump the iron, dude. It was leg day the other day, and I'm I'm waddling. It hurts so bad. Anyway, um, on April twenty second, there's an Earth Day festival in Oklahoma City. We're gonna be there, um, registering voters. If anyone is in Tulsa, there's a Black Biker Rally coming up next month. We'd love to have a contingent up there registering voters. I know they bring in folks from around the country, but we should have a booth and talk about what's happening in Tulsa and how to get people involved. That would be amazing. And uh, if you have, again, if you have ideas for how to get out in the community, let us know. Also, 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 let me stop the music. Mark your calendars, listeners. June 15th, 16th, 17th. That's when CivicsCon is going to happen. We are just days away from inking a deal with a venue. We've got a bunch of really great sessions lined up. We'll have full details here by the end of the month. But go ahead and put a hold on your calendar. It'll be probably two of those days. We just haven't nailed down yet. Are 15, you, uh, uh, June 15, 16, 17. Are you going to make the uh, contract contingent on site upgrades prior to the event? <laughs> if only. <laughs> you have to upgrade us with sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, on that note then. Oh, what happened to my music? Oh, I think we ran out of song, Scott. Well, we'll just start it over. Here, we're going to, actually, we're going to switch. We're going to go out on this note, Scott, because I know it makes you smile. Hello, listeners. If you've stuck around this long, we're approaching one hour. It's the witching hour. It's time to pony up to your speakers. Get your voter registration out. Your pens inked. Pour yourself a glass of Merlot. <laughs> Little Bordeaux. <laughs> we can't even. I don't we're so. All right. Listeners, thanks a lot. Have a good week. Don't forget that decisions are made by those who sign up.
No, not sign up. Show up. What? Redo. <clears throat> Outtakes. Let's try that again, listeners. <laughs> Don't forget that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week. <laughs>